Section three of Father Goriot by Honore Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three. Father Goriot's face, which had shone at the student's words like the sun on a bright day, clouded over all at once at this cruel speech of Vautrin's. Well, said Madame Vauqueur, but where is your adventure? Did you speak to her? Did you ask her if she wanted to study law? She did not see me, said Eugene, but only think of meeting one of the prettiest women in Paris in the Rue de Grey at nine o'clock. She could not have reached home after the ball till two o'clock this morning. Wasn't it queer? There is no place like Paris for this sort of adventures. Pshaw! Much funnier things than that happen here, exclaimed Vautrin. Mademoiselle Talifay had scarcely heeded the talk she was so absorbed by the thought of the new attempt that she was about to make. Madame Couture made a sign that it was time to go upstairs and dress. The two ladies went out, and Father Goriot followed their example. "'Well, did you see?' said Madame Vauqueuil, addressing Vautrin and the rest of the circle. "'He is ruining himself for those women that is plain. Nothing will ever make me believe that that beautiful Comtesse de Rostaud is anything to Father Goriot,' cried the student. "'Well, and if you don't,' broke in Vautrin, "'we are not set on convincing you. You are too young to know Paris thoroughly yet. Later on you will find out that there are what we call men with a passion. Mademoiselle Michonneau gave Vautrin a quick glance at these words. They seemed to be like the sound of a trumpet to a trooper's horse. Aha, said Vautrin, stopping in his speech to give her a searching glance. So we have had our little experiences, have we? The old maid lowered her eyes like a nun who sees a statue. Well, he went on, when folk of that kind get a notion into their heads they cannot drop it. They must drink the water from some particular spring. It is stagnant as often as not, but they will sell their wives and families, they will sell their own souls to the devil to get it. For some this spring is play, or the stock exchange, or music, or a collection of pictures, or insects, for others it is some woman who can give them the dainties they like. You might offer these last all the women on earth. They would turn up their noses. They will have the only one who can gratify their passion. It often happens that the woman does not care for them at all, and treats them cruelly. They buy their morsels of satisfaction very dear. But no matter, the fools are never tired of it. They will take their last blanket to the pawnbroker's to give their last five-franc piece to her. Father Goriot here is one of that sort. He is discreet, so the Comtesse exploits him, just the way of the gay world. The poor old fellow thinks of her and of nothing else. In all other respects, you see, he is a stupid animal. But get him on that subject, and his eyes sparkle like diamonds. That secret is not difficult to guess. He took some plate himself this morning to the melting-pot, and I saw him at Daddy Gobzik's in the Rue de Grey, and now, mark what follows, he came back here, and gave a letter for the Comtesse de Restaud to that noodle of a Christophe, who showed us the address. There was a receipted bill inside it. It is clear that it was an urgent matter if the Comtesse also went herself to the old moneylender. Father Goriot has financed her handsomely. There is no need to tack a tale together. The thing is self-evident. So that shows you, Sir Student, that all the time your Countess was smiling, dancing, flirting, swaying her peach-flower, crowned head, with her gown gathered into her hand. Her slippers were pinching her, as they say. She was thinking of her protested bills, or 
her lovers protested bills you have made me wild to know the truth cried eugene i will go to call on madame de rostaud to-morrow yes echoed poiret you must go and call on madame de rostaud and perhaps you will find father goriot there who will take payment for the assistance he politely rendered eugene looked disgusted why then this paris of yours is a sloth and an uncommonly queer sloth too replied vautrin the mud splashes you as you drive through it in your carriage you are a respectable person you go afoot and are splashed you are a scoundrel you are so unlucky as to walk off with something or other belonging to somebody else and they exhibit you as a curiosity in the place du palais de justice you steal a million and you are pointed out in every salon as a model of virtue and you pay thirty millions for the police and the courts of justice for the maintenance of law and order a pretty slate of things it is what cried madame vauqueur has father goriot really melted down his silver posset dish there were two turtle doves on the lid were there not asked eugene yes there were then was he fond of it said eugene he cried while he was breaking up the cup and plate i happened to see him by accident it was dear to him as his own life answered the widow there you see how infatuated the old fellow is cried vautrin the woman yonder can coax the soul out of him the student went up to his room vautrin went out and a few moments later madame couture and victorine drove away in a cab which sylvie had called for them poiret gave his arm to mademoiselle michelot and they went together to spend the two sunniest hours of the day in the jardin des plantes well those two are as good as married was the portly sylvie's comment they are going out together to-day for the first time they are such a couple of dry sticks that if they happen to strike against each other they will draw sparks like flint and steel keep clear of mademoiselle michonneau's shawl then said madame vauqueur laughing it would flare up like tinder at four o'clock that evening when goriot came in he saw by the light of two smoky lamps that victorine's eyes were red madame vauqueur was listening to the history of the visit made that morning to monsieur taillefay it had been made in vain taillefay was tired of the annual application made by his daughter and her elderly friend he gave them a personal interview in order to arrive at understanding with them my dear lady said madame couture addressing madame vauquer just imagine it he did not even ask victorine to sit down she was standing the whole time he said to me quite coolly without putting himself in a passion that we might spare ourselves the trouble of going there that the young lady he would not call her his daughter was injuring her cause by importuning him importuning once a year the wretch that as victorine's mother had nothing when he married her victorine ought not to expect anything from him in fact he said the most cruel things that made the poor child burst out crying the little thing threw herself at her father's feet and spoke up bravely she said that she only persevered in her visits for her mother's sake that she would obey him without a murmur but that she begged him to read her poor dead mother's farewell letter she took it up and gave it to him saying the most beautiful things in the world most beautifully expressed i do not know where she learned them god must have put them in her head for the poor child was inspired to speak so nicely that it made me cry like a fool to hear her talk and what do you think the monster was doing all the time cutting his nails he took the letter that poor madame taliffet had soaked with tears and flung it on to the chimney-piece that is all right he said he held out his hands to raise his daughter but she covered them with kisses and he drew them away again 
scandalous isn't it and his great booby of a son came in and took no notice of his sister what inhuman wretches they must be said father goriot and then they both went out of the room madame couture went on without heeding the worthy vermicelli maker's exclamation father and son bowed to me and asked me to excuse them on account of urgent business that is the history of our call well he has seen his daughter at any rate how he can refuse to acknowledge her i cannot think for they are as alike as two peas the boarders dropped in one after another interchanging greetings and empty jokes that certain classes of parisiennes regard as humorous and witty dullness is their prevailing ingredient and the whole point consists in mispronouncing a word or a gesture this kind of argot is always changing the essence of the jest consists in some catchword suggested by a political event an incident in the police courts a street song or a bit of burlesque at some theatre and forgotten in a month anything and everything serves to keep up a game of battledore and shuttlecock with words and ideas the diorama a recent invention which carried an optical illusion a degree further than panoramas has given rise to a mania among art students for ending every word with rama the maison vacuer had caught the infection from a young artist among the boarders well monsieur poiret said the employee from the museum how is your health orama then without waiting for an answer he turned to madame couture and victorine with a ladies you seem melancholy is dinner ready cried horace biancon a medical student and a friend of rastignac's my stomach is sinking usque ad tolones there is an uncommon frozerama outside said vautrin make room there father goriot confound it your foot covers the whole front of the stove illustrious monsieur vautrin put in biencon why do you say frozerama it is incorrect it should be frozen rama no it shouldn't said the official from the museum frozerama is right by the same rule that you say my feet are froze aha here is his excellency the marquis de rastignac doctor of the law of contraries cried biancon seizing eugene by the throat and almost throttling him hello there hello mademoiselle michonneau came noiselessly in bowed to the rest of the party and took her place beside the three women without saying a word that old bat always makes me shudder said biancon in a low voice indicating mademoiselle michonneau to vautrin i have studied gaul's system and i am sure she has the bump of judas then you have seen a case before said vautrin who has not answered biancon upon my word that ghastly old maid looks just like one of the long worms that will gnaw a beam through given them time enough that is the way young man returned he of the forty years and the dyed whiskers the rose has lived the life of a rose a morning's space aha here is a magnificent soup aroma cried poiret as christophe came in bearing the soup with cautious heed i beg your pardon sir said madame vercure it is the soup aux choux all the young men roared with laughter had you there poiret poiret she had you there score two points for mamma vacure said vautrin did any of you notice the fog this morning asked the official it was a frantic fog said biancon a fog unparalleled doleful melancholy sea-green asthmatical a goriot of a fog a goriorama said the art student because you couldn't see a thing in it hey milord gariote they air talking about you father goriot seated at the lower end of the table 
close to the door through which the servant entered raised his face he had smelt at a scrap of bread that lay under his table napkin an old trick acquired in his commercial capacity that still showed itself at times well madame vauquer cried in sharp tones that rang above the rattle of spoons and plates and the sound of other voices is there anything the matter with the bread nothing whatever madame he answered on the contrary it is made of the best quality of corn flour from etampes how could you tell asked eugene by the colour by the flavour you knew the flavour by the smell i suppose said madame vauquer you have grown so economical you will find out how to live on the smell of cooking at last take out a patent for it then cried the museum official you could make a handsome fortune never mind him said the artist he does that sort of thing to delude us into thinking that he was a vermicelli maker your nose is a corn sampler it appears inquired the official corn what asked bianchon cornel cornet cornelian cornice cornucopia corncrake corncockle cornorama the eight responses came like a rolling fire from every part of the room and the laughter that followed was more uproarious because poor father goriot stared at the others with a puzzled look like a foreigner trying to catch the meaning of words in a language which he does not understand corn he said turning to vautrin his next neighbour corn on your foot old man said vautrin and he drove father goriot's cap over his eyes by a blow on the crown the poor old man thus suddenly attacked was for a moment too bewildered to do anything christophe carried off his plate thinking that he had finished his soup so that when goriot had pushed back his cap from his eyes his spoon encountered the table everyone burst out laughing you are a disagreeable joker sir said the old man and if you take any further liberties with me well what then old boy vautrin interrupted well then you shall pay dearly for it some day down below eh said the artist in the little dark corner where they put naughty boys well mademoiselle vautrin said turning to victorine you are eating nothing so papa was refractory was he a monster said madame couture mademoiselle might make application for ailment pending her suit she is not eating anything hey hey just see how father goriot is staring at mademoiselle victorine the old man had forgotten his dinner he was so absorbed in gazing at the poor girl the sorrow in her face was unmistakable the slighted love of a child whose father would not recognize her we are mistaken about father goriot my dear boy said eugene in a low voice he is not an idiot nor wanting in energy try your gall system on him and let me know what you think i saw him crush a silver dish last night as if it were made of wax there seems to be something extraordinary going on in his mind just now to judge by his face his life is so mysterious that it must be worth studying oh you may laugh bianchon i am not joking the man is a subject is he said to bianchon all right i will dissect him if he will give me the chance no feel his bumps hm his stupidity might perhaps be contagious the next day rastignac dressed himself very elegantly at about three o'clock in the afternoon went to call on madame de rostaud on the way thither he indulged in the wild intoxicating dream which fill a young head so full of delicious excitement young men at his age take no account of obstacles nor of dangers they see success in every direction imagination has free play and turns their lives into a romance they are saddened or discouraged by the collapse of one of the visionary schemes that have no existence save in their heated fancy if youth were not ignorant and timid civilization would be impossible 
eugene took unheard of pains to keep himself in a spotless condition but on his way through the streets he began to think about madame de rostaud and what he should say to her he equipped himself with wit rehearsed repartees in the course of an imaginary conversation and prepared certain neat speeches a la talleyrand conjuring up a series of small events which should prepare the way for the declaration on which he had based his future and during these musings the law student was bespattered with mud and by the time he reached the palais royal he was obliged to have his boots blacked and his trousers brushed if i were rich he said as he changed the five-franc piece he had brought with him in case anything might happen i would take a cab then i could think at my ease at last he reached the rue du helder and asked for the comtesse de restaud he bored the contemptuous glances of the servants who had seen him cross the court on foot with the cold fury of a man who knows that he will succeed some day he understood the meaning of the glances at once for he had felt his inferiority as soon as he entered the court where a smart cab was waiting all the delights of life in paris seemed to be implied by this visible and manifest sign of luxury and extravagance a fine horse in magnificent harness was pawing the ground and all at once the law student felt out of humour with himself every compartment in his brain which he had thought to find so full of wit was bolted fast he grew positively stupid he sent up his name to the countess and waited in the antechamber standing on one foot before a window that looked out upon the court mechanically he leaned his elbow against the sash and stared before him the time seemed long he would have left the house but for the southern tenacity of purpose which works miracles when it is single-minded madame is in her boudoir and cannot see any one at present sir said the servant she gave me no answer but if you will go into the drawing-room there is some one already there rastignac was impressed with a sense of the formidable power of the lackey who can accuse or condemn his masters by a word he coolly opened the door by which the man had just entered the antechamber meaning no doubt to show these insolent flunkies that he was familiar with the house but he found that he had thoughtlessly precipitated himself into a small room full of dressers where lamps were standing and hot water pipes on which towels were being dried a dark passage and a back staircase lay beyond it stifled laughter from the antechamber added to his confusion this way to the drawing-room sir said the servant with the exaggerated respect which seemed to be one more jest at his expense eugene turned so quickly that he stumbled against a bath by good luck he managed to keep his hat on his head and saved it from immersion in the water but just as he turned a door opened at the further end of the dark passage dimly lighted by a small lamp rastignac heard voices and the sound of a kiss one of the speakers was madame de rostaud the other was father goriot eugene followed the servant through the dining-room into the drawing-room he went to a window that looked out into the courtyard and stood there for a while he meant to know whether this goriot was really the goriot that he knew his heart beat unwontedly fast he remembered vautrin's hideous insinuations a well-dressed young man suddenly emerged from the room almost as eugene entered it saying impatiently to the servant who stood at the door i am going maurice tell madame la comtesse that i waited more than half an hour for her whereupon this insolent being who doubtless had a right to be insolent sang an italian trill and went towards the window where eugene was standing moved thereto quite as much by a desire to see the student's face as by a wish to look out into the courtyard but monsieur le comte 
had better wait a moment longer madame is disengaged said maurice as he returned to the antechamber just at that time father goriot appeared close to the gate he had emerged from a door at the foot of the back staircase the worthy soul was preparing to open his umbrella regardless of the fact that the great gate had opened to admit a tilbury in which a young man with a ribbon at his buttonhole was seated father goriot had scarcely time to start back and save himself the horse took fright at the umbrella swerved and dashed forward towards the flight of steps the young man looked round in annoyance saw father goriot and greeted him as he went out with constrained courtesy such as people usually show to a money-lender so long as they require his services or the sort of respect they feel it necessary to show for some one whose reputation has been blown upon so that they blush to acknowledge his acquaintance father goriot gave him a little friendly nod and a good-natured smile all this happened with lightning speed eugene was so deeply interested that he forgot that he was not alone till he suddenly heard the countess's voice oh maxime were you going away she said reproachfully with a shade of pique in her manner the countess had not seen the incident nor the entrance of the tilbury rastignac turned abruptly and saw her standing before him coquettishly dressed in a loose white cashmere gown with knots of rose-coloured ribbons here and there her hair was carelessly coiled about her head as is the wont of parisian women in the morning there was a soft fragrance about her doubtless she was fresh from a bath her graceful form seemed more flexible her beauty more luxuriant her eyes glistened a young man can see everything at a glance he feels the radiant influence of a woman as a plant discerns and absorbs its nutriment from the air he did not need to touch her hands to feel their cool freshness he saw faint rose tints through the cashmere of the dressing-gown it had fallen slightly open giving glimpses of a bare throat on which the student's eyes rested the countess had no need of the adventitious aid of corsets her girdle defined the outlines of her slender waist her throat was a challenge to love her feet thrust into slippers were daintily small as maxime took her hand and kissed it eugene became aware of maxime's existence and the countess saw eugene oh is that you monsieur de restignac i am very glad to see you she said but there was something in her manner that a shrewd observer would have taken as a hint to depart maxime as the comtesse anastasie had called the young man with the haughty insolence of bearing looked from eugene to the lady and from the lady to eugene it was sufficiently evident that he wished to be rid of the latter an exact and faithful rendering of the glance might be given in the words look here my dear i hope you intend to send this little whippersnapper about his business the countess consulted the young man's face with an intent submissiveness that betrays all the secrets of a woman's heart and rastignac all at once began to hate him violently to begin with the sight of the fair carefully arranged curls on the other's comely head had convinced him that his own crop was hideous maxime's boots moreover were elegant and spotless while his own in spite of all his care bore some traces of his recent walk and finally maxime's overcoat fitted the outline of his figure gracefully he looked like a pretty woman while eugene was wearing a black coat at half-past two the quick-witted child of the charon felt the disadvantage at which he was placed beside this tall slender dandy with the clear gaze and pale face one of those men who would ruin orphan children without scruple madame de restaud fled into the next room without waiting for eugene to speak 
shaking out the skirts of her dressing-gown in her flight so that she looked like a white butterfly and maxime hurried after her eugene in a fury followed maxime and the countess and the three stood once more face to face by the hearth in the large drawing-room the law student felt quite sure that the odious maxime found him in the way and even at the risk of displeasing madame de Rostaud, he meant to annoy the dandy it had struck him all at once that he had seen the young man before at madame de beauseant's ball he guessed the relation between maxime and madame de Rostaud, and with the youthful audacity that commits prodigious blunders or achieves signal success he said to himself this is my rival i mean to cut him out rash resolve he did not know that monsieur le comte maxime de Trailles would wait till he was insulted so as to fire first and kill his man eugene was a sportsman and a good shot but he had not yet hit the bull's-eye twenty times out of twenty-two the young count dropped into a low chair by the hearth took up the tongs and made up the fire so violently and so sulkily that anastasie's fair face suddenly clouded over she turned to eugene with a cool questioning glance that asked plainly why do you not go a glance which well-bred people regard as a cue to make their exit eugene assumed an amiable expression madame he began i hastened to call upon you he stopped short the door open and the owner of the tilbury suddenly appeared he had left his hat outside and did not greet the countess he looked meditatively at rastignac and held out his hand to maxime with a cordial good-morning that astonished eugene not a little the young provincial did not understand the amenities of a triple alliance monsieur de restaud said the countess introducing her husband to the law student eugene bowed profoundly this gentleman she continued presenting eugene to her husband is monsieur de rastignac he is related to madame la vicomtesse de beauseant through the marciac i had the pleasure of meeting him at her last ball related to madame la vicomtesse de beauseant through the marciac these words on which the countess threw ever so slight an emphasis by reason of the pride that the mistress of a house takes in showing that she only receives people of distinction as visitors to her house produced a magical effect the count's stiff manner relaxed at once as he returned the student's bow delighted to have an opportunity of making your acquaintance he said maxime de Trailles himself gave eugene an uneasy glance and suddenly dropped his insolent manner the mighty name had all the power of a fairy's wand those closed compartments in the southern brain flew open again rastignac's carefully drilled faculties returned it was as if a sudden light had pierced the obscurity of this upper world of paris and he began to see though everything was indistinct as yet madame vauquer's lodging-house and father goriot were very far remote from his thoughts i thought that the marcillac were extinct the comte de restaud said addressing eugene yes they are extinct answered the law student my great-uncle the chevalier de rastignac married the heiress of the marcillac family they had only one daughter who married the marcillac de clarimbeau madame de beauseant's grandfather on the mother's side we are the younger branch of the family and the younger branch is all the poorer because my great-uncle the vice-admiral lost all that he had in the king's service the government during the revolution refused to admit our claims when the campagne des indies was liquidated was not your great-uncle in command of the vengeur during seventeen eighty nine yes then he would be acquainted with my grandfather who commanded the warwick maxine looked at madame de restaud and shrugged his shoulders 
as who should say if he is going to discuss nautical matters with that fellow it is all over with us anastasie understood the glance that monsieur de Troyes gave her with a woman's admirable tact she began to smile and said come with me maxime i have something to say to you we will leave you two gentlemen to sail in company on board the warwick and the vengeur she rose to her feet and signed to maxime to follow her mirth and mischief in her whole attitude and the two went in the direction of the boudoir the morganatic couple to use a convenient german expression which has no exact equivalent had reached the door where the count interrupted himself in his talk with eugene anastasie he cried pettishly just stay a moment dear you know very well that i am coming back in a minute she interrupted i have a commission for maxime to execute and i want to tell him about it she came back almost immediately she had noticed the inflection in her husband's voice and knew that it would not be safe to retire to the boudoir like all women who are compelled to study their husband's characters in order to have their own way and whose business it is to know exactly how far they can go without endangering a good understanding she was very careful to avoid petty collisions in domestic life it was eugene who had brought about this untoward incident so the countess looked at maxime and indicated the law student with an air of exasperation monsieur de troyes addressed the count the countess and eugene with a pointed remark you are busy i do not want to interrupt you good day and he went just wait a moment maxime the count called after him come and dine with us said the countess leaving eugene and her husband together once more she followed maxime into the little drawing-room where they sat together sufficiently long to feel sure that Rastignac had taken his leave the law student heard their laughter and their voices and the pauses in their talk he grew malicious exerted his conversational powers for monsieur de Rostaud, flattered him and drew him into discussions to the end that he might see the countess again and discover the nature of her relations with father goriot this countess with a husband and a lover for maxine clearly was her lover was a mystery what was the secret tie that bound her to the old tradesman this mystery he meant to penetrate hoping by its means to gain a sovereign ascendancy over this fair typical parisienne anastasie the count called again to his wife poor maxime she said addressing the young man come we must resign ourselves this evening i hope nasie he said in her ear that you will give orders not to admit that youngster whose eyes light up like live coals when he looks at you he will make you a declaration and compromise you and then you will compel me to kill him are you mad maxime she said a young lad of a student is on the contrary a capital lightning conductor is not that so of course i mean to make risto furiously jealous of him maxime burst out laughing and went out followed by the countess who stood at the window to watch him into his carriage he shook his whip and made his horse prance she only returned when the great gate had been closed after him what do you think dear cried the count her husband this gentleman's family estate is not far from vertui on the charente his great-uncle and my grandfather were acquainted delighted to find that we have acquaintances in common said the countess with a preoccupied manner more than you think said eugene in a low voice what do you mean she asked quickly why only just now said the student i saw a gentleman go out at the gate father goriot my next-door neighbor in the house where i am lodging at the sound of this name and the prefix which embellished it the count who was stirring the fire let the tongs fall as though they had burned his fingers and rose to his feet sir he cried you might have called him monsieur goriot the countess turned pale at first at the sight of her husband's vexation then she reddened 
clearly she was embarrassed her answers were made in a tone that she tried to make natural and with an air of assumed carelessness you could not know anyone who is dearer to us both she broke off glanced at the piano as if some fancy had crossed her mind and asked are you fond of music monsieur de restignac exceedingly answered eugene flushing and disconcerted by a dim suspicion that he had somehow been guilty of a clumsy piece of folly do you sing she cried going to the piano and sitting down before it she swept her fingers over the keyboard from end to end Rah! no madame the comte de restaud walked to and fro that is a pity you are without one great means of success caro 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 non dubitare sang the comtesse eugene had a second time waved a magic wand when he uttered goriot's name but the effect seemed to be entirely opposite to that produced by the formula related to madame de beauseant his position was not unlike that of some visitor permitted as a favour to inspect a private collection of curiosities when by inadvertence he comes into collision with a glass case full of sculptured figures and three or four heads imperfectly secured fall at the shock he wished the earth would open and swallow him madame de rostaud's expression was reserved and chilly her eyes had grown indifferent and sedulously avoided meeting those of the unlucky student of law madame he said you wish to talk with monsieur de restaud permit me to wish you good day the countess interrupted him by a gesture saying hastily whenever you come to see us both monsieur de restaud and i shall be delighted to see you eugene made a profound bow and took his leave followed by monsieur de restaud who insisted in spite of his remonstrances on accompanying him into the hall neither your mistress nor i are at home to that gentleman when he calls the count said to maurice as eugene set foot on the steps he saw that it was raining come said he to himself somehow i have just made a mess of it i do not know how and now i am going to spoil my hat and coat into the bargain i ought to stop in my corner grind away at law and never look to be anything but a boorish country magistrate how can i go into society when to manage properly you want a lot of cabs varnished boots gold watch change and all sorts of things you have to wear white doeskin gloves that cost six francs in the morning and primrose kid gloves every evening a fig for that old humbug of a goriot when he reached the street door the driver of a hackney coach who had probably just deposited a wedding party at their door and asked nothing better than a chance of making a little money for himself without his employer's knowledge saw that eugene had no umbrella remarked his black coat white waistcoat yellow gloves and varnished boots and stopped and looked at him inquiringly eugene in the blind desperation that drives a young man to plunge deeper and deeper into an abyss as if he might hope to find a fortune issue in its lowest depths nodded in reply to the driver's signal and stepped into the cab a few stray petals of orange blossom and scraps of wire bore witness to its recent occupation by a wedding party where am i to drive sir demanded the man who by this time had taken off his white gloves confound it eugene said to himself i am in for it now and at least i will not spend cab hire for nothing drive to the hotel beauseon he said aloud which asked the man a portentous word that reduced eugene to confusion this young man of fashion species in Cherta, did not know that there were two hotels beauseant he was not aware how rich he was in relations who did not care about him the vicomte de beauseant rue rue grenelle interrupted the driver with a jerk of his head you see there are the hotels of the marquis and comte de beauseant in the rue saint dominique he added drawing up the step 
i know all about that said eugene severely everybody is laughing at me to-day it seems he said to himself as he deposited his hat on the opposite seat this escapade will cost me a king's ransom but at any rate i shall call on my so-called cousin in a thoroughly aristocratic fashion goriot has cost me ten francs already the old scoundrel my word i will tell madame de beauseant about my adventure perhaps it may amuse her doubtless she will know the secret of the criminal relation between that handsome woman and the old rat without a tail it would be better to find favour in my cousin's eyes than to come in contact with that shameless woman who seems to me to have very expensive tastes surely the beautiful vicomtesse's personal interest would turn the scale for me when the mere mention of her name produces such an effect let us look higher if you set yourself to carry the heights of heaven you must face god the innumerable thoughts that surged through his brain might be summed up in these phrases he grew calmer and recovered something of his assurance as he watched the falling rain he told himself that though he was about to squander two of the precious five franc pieces that remained to him the money was well laid out in preserving his coat boots and hat and his cabman's cry of gate if you please almost put him in spirits a swiss in scarlet and gold appeared the great door groaned on its hinges and rastignac with sweet satisfaction beheld his equipage pass under the archway and stop before the flight of steps beneath the awning the driver in a blue and red greatcoat dismounted and let down the step as eugene stepped out of the cab he heard smothered laughter from the peristyle three or four lackeys were making merry over the festal appearance of the vehicle in another moment the law student was enlightened as to the cause of their hilarity he felt the full force of the contrast between his equipage and one of the smartest broughams in paris a coachman with powdered hair seemed to find it difficult to hold a pair of spirited horses who stood chafing the bit in madame de rostaud's courtyard in the chaussee d'atin he had seen the neat turnout of a young man of six-and-twenty in the faubourg st germain he found the luxurious equipage of a man of rank thirty thousand francs would not have purchased it who can be here said eugene to himself he began to understand though somewhat tardily that he must not expect to find many women in paris who were not already appropriated and that the capture of one of these queens would be likely to cost something more than bloodshed confound it all i expect my cousin also has her maxim he went up the steps feeling that he was a blighted being the glass door was opened for him the servants were as solemn as jackasses under the currycomb so far eugene had only been in the ballroom on the ground floor of the hotel beauseant the fete had followed so closely on the invitation that he had not had time to call on his cousin and had therefore never seen madame de beauseant's apartments he was about to behold for the first time a great lady among the wonderful and elegant surroundings that reveal her character and reflect her daily life he was the more curious because madame de rostaud's drawing-room had provided him with a standard of comparison at half-past four the vicomtesse de beauseant was visible but eugene knew nothing of the recognized routine of various houses in paris he was conducted up the wide white-painted crimson-carpeted staircase between the gilded balusters and masses of flowering plants to madame de beauseant's apartments he did not know the rumor current about madame de beauseant one of the biographies told with variations in whispers every evening in the salons of paris for three years past her name had been spoken of in connection with that of one of the most wealthy and distinguished portuguese nobles the marquis d'ajudu pinto 
it was one of those innocent liaisons which possess so much charm for the two thus attached to each other that they find the presence of a third person intolerable the vicomte de beauzion therefore had himself set an example to the rest of the world by respecting with as good a grace as might be this morganatic union any one who came to call on the vicomtesse in the early days of this friendship was sure to find the marquis d'ajudou pinto there as under the circumstances madame de beauzion could not very well shut her door against these visitors she gave them such a cold reception and showed so much interest in the study of the ceiling that no one could fail to understand how much he bored her and when it became known in paris that madame de beauzion was bored by callers between two and four o'clock she was left in perfect solitude during that interval she went to the bouffon or to the opera with monsieur de beauzion and monsieur d'ajudou pinto and monsieur de beauzion like a well-bred man of the world always left his wife and the portuguese as soon as he had installed them but monsieur d'ajudou pinto must marry and a mademoiselle de rochefide was the young lady in the whole fashionable world there was but one person who as yet knew nothing of the arrangement and that was madame de beauzion some of her friends had hinted at the possibility and she had laughed at them believing that envy had prompted those ladies to try to make mischief and now though the bands were about to be published and although the handsome portuguese had come that day to break the news to the vicomtesse he had not found the courage as yet to say one word about his treachery how was it nothing is doubtless more difficult than the notification of an ultimatum of this kind there are men who feel more at their ease when they stand up before another man who threatens their lives with sword or pistol than in the presence of a woman who after two hours of lamentations and reproaches falls into a dead swoon and requires salts at this moment therefore monsieur d'ajudou pinto was on thorns and anxious to take his leave he told himself that in some way or other the news would reach madame de beauzion and he would write it would be much better to do it by letter and not to utter the words that should stab her to the heart so when the servant announced monsieur eugene de rastignac the marquis d'ajudou pinto trembled with joy to be sure a loving woman shows even more ingenuity in inventing doubts of her lover than in varying the monotony of his happiness and when she is about to be forsaken she instinctively interprets every gesture as rapidly as virgil's courser detected the presence of his companion by snuffing the breeze it was impossible therefore that madame de beauzion should not detect that involuntary thrill of satisfaction slight though it was it was appalling in its artlessness eugene had yet to learn that no one in paris should present himself in any house without first making himself acquainted with the whole history of its owner and of its owner's wife and family so that he may avoid making any of the terrible blunders which in poland draw forth the picturesque exclamation harness five bullocks to your cart probably because you will need them all to pull you out of the quagmire into which a false step has plunged you if down to the present day our language has no name for these conversational disasters it is probably because they are believed to be impossible the publicity given in paris to every scandal is so prodigious after the awkward incident at madame de rostaud's no one but eugene could have reappeared in his character of bullock driver in madame de beauzion's drawing-room but if madame de rostaud and monsieur de Trailles had found him horribly in the way monsieur d'ajuda hailed his coming with relief good-bye said the portuguese hurrying to the door as eugene made his entrance into the dainty little pink and grey drawing-room where luxury seemed nothing more than good taste 
until this evening said madame de beauseant turning her head to give the marquis a glance we are going to the bouffons are we not i cannot go he said with his fingers on the door handle madame de beauseant rose and beckoned to him to return she did not pay the slightest attention to eugene who stood there dazzled by the sparkling marvels around him he began to think that this was some story out of the arabian nights made real and did not know where to hide himself when the woman before him seemed to be unconscious of his existence the vicomtesse had raised the forefinger of her right hand and gracefully signed to the marquis to seat himself beside her the marquis felt the imperious sway of passion in her gesture he came back towards her eugene watched him not without a feeling of envy that is the owner of the brome he said to himself but is it necessary to have a pair of spirited horses servants in livery and torrents of gold to draw a glance from a woman here in paris the demon of luxury gnawed in his heart greed burned in his veins his throat was parched with the thirst of gold he had a hundred and thirty francs every quarter his father mother brothers sisters and aunt did not spend two hundred francs a month among them the swift comparison between his present condition and the aims he had in view helped to benumb his faculties why not the vicomtesse was saying as she smiled at the portuguese why cannot you come to the italiens affairs i am to dine with the english ambassador throw him over when a man once enters on a course of deception he is compelled to add lie to lie monsieur d'ajuda therefore said smiling do you lay your commands on me yes certainly that was what i wanted to have you say to me he answered dissembling his feelings at a glance which would have reassured any other woman he took the vicomtesse's hand kissed it and went eugene ran his fingers through his hair and constrained himself to bow he thought that now madame de beauseant would give him her attention but suddenly she sprang forward rushed to a window in the gallery and watched monsieur d'ajuda step into his carriage she listened to the order that he gave and heard the swiss repeat it to the coachman to monsieur de rochefide's house those words and the way in which monsieur d'ajuda flung himself back in the carriage were like a lightning flash and a thunderbolt for her she walked back again with a deadly fear gnawing in her heart the most terrible catastrophes only happened among the heights the vicomtesse went to her own room sat down at a table and took up a sheet of dainty note-paper when instead of dining with the english ambassador she wrote you go to the rochefides you owe me an explanation which i am waiting to hear she retraced several of the letters for her hand was trembling so that they were indistinct then she signed the note with an initial c for claire de bourgogne and rang the bell jacques she said to the servant who appeared immediately take this note to monsieur de rochefide's house at half-past seven and ask for the marquis d'ajuda if monsieur d'ajuda is there leave the note without waiting for an answer if he is not there bring the note back to me madame la vicomtesse there is a visitor in the drawing-room ah yes of course she said opening the door eugene was beginning to feel very uncomfortable but at last the vicomtesse appeared she spoke to him and the tremulous tones of her voice vibrated through his heart pardon me monsieur she said i had a letter to write now i am quite at liberty she scarcely knew what she was saying for even as she spoke she thought ah he means to marry mademoiselle de rochefide but is he still free this evening the marriage shall be broken off or else 
but before to-morrow i shall know cousin the student replied eh said the countess with an insolent glance that sent a cold shudder through eugene he understood what that a meant he had learned a great deal in three hours and his wits were on the alert he reddened madame he began he hesitated a moment and then went on pardon me i am in such need of protection that the nearest scrap of relationship could do me no harm madame de beauseant smiled but there was sadness in her smile even now she felt forebodings of the coming pain the air she breathed was heavy with the storm that was about to burst if you knew how my family are situated he went on you would love to play the part of a beneficent fairy godmother who graciously clears the obstacles from the path of her protege well cousin she said laughing and how can i be of service to you but do i know even that i am distantly related to you and this obscure and remote relationship is even now a perfect godsend to me you have confused my ideas i cannot remember the things that i meant to say to you i know no one else here in paris ah if i could only ask you to counsel me ask you to look upon me as a poor child who would fain cling to the hem of your dress who would lay down his life for you would you kill a man for me too said eugene you child yes you are a child she said keeping back the tears that came to her eyes you would love sincerely oh he cried flinging up his head End of section 3